Chapter Twenty Eight of Fresh Every Hour by John Peter Tuey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jimmy Martin, lying on a chaise lounge in the royal suite of the Congress Hotel, had difficulty in persuading himself that he was wide awake and in full possession of all his senses. Opposite him sat the pseudo prince Rajput Singh in his shirt sleeves, looking decidedly unromantic. The East Indian was talking rapidly, and the inner import of the tale he was unfolding was of such a nature that Jimmy was a quiver with eager curiosity and aglow with anticipatory delight. He did not notice that the other's eyes glinted unpleasantly as he spoke, and that there was something positively repulsive about the smugly complacent manner in which he detailed the progress of his love affair with the wealthy sister of Junius P. Easton. All Jimmy could think of at the moment were the tremendous publicity possibilities inherent in the culmination of this incongruous romance. "'As you see, she is very much head over heels with me,' said the prince, smiling mockingly. "'Is that foolish lady with the yellow hair? I have made a most successful attack on her young affections, eh, Mr. Martin? Is it not so? I have but to bend my small finger, and she will do what I ask.' I have not made myself waste any time. Do you think I have, Mr. Martin?" "'Say,' said Jimmy enthusiastically, as he rose to a sitting posture, "'you're the quickest worker I ever saw in action. A glance of the eye and a twist of the wrist, and they're ready to break the old home ties and kiss the pet canary good-bye. You've certainly got winning ways. There's no use in denying that. When did you see her last?' This afternoon I swear my undying love for this lovely lady in quiet corner of her drawing-room. We have made exchange of rings. How much you think this one is worth, eh, Mr. Martin?" The fictitious heir to the throne of Hyderabad reached into the pocket of his waistcoat and took therefrom a diamond ring which flashed brilliantly as he handed it to the press-agent. Jimmy examined it critically. "'Oh,' said he carelessly, this is just a gaudy little trinket that isn't worth more than about fifteen hundred dollars or so. I've got to give you credit. You're immense. Where do we go from here?" Prince Rajput Singh looked puzzled. "'I do not mean to go,' he said. "'I mean to stay for a little while.' "'Of course, of course,' said Jimmy. "'You don't understand. What I mean is, what's the next move?' You said something a little while ago about double-harness stuff, about marrying this old gal, I mean. When are we going to pull the finale? Whenever we wish, Mr. Martin. I have, as I say, but to bend my small finger. It will make a nice publication for you in the journals, will it not? You said something that time, old Frank J. Bombay, returned Jimmy, who was now in the grip of one of his moods of exultant exuberance. This one'll land in places where press agents fear to tread. They'll stop the presses for it, if necessary, and miss the mails. They'd leave out ads for it. And when it's all over, you've got to do me a favor. You've got to keep on with your tour and take Mrs. Princess Rajput Singh along with you as a ballyhoo. Why, say, we'll land so much stuff in every town that the agent of every other outfit'll just naturally pack up and move on to the next stand, without even leaving a forward in address. Jimmy's swarthy friend nodded in response to this enthusiastic outburst. 
Then he narrowed his eyes, and the mean, sordid soul of him peered through as he spoke. "'This Mrs. Princess, as you call her, that is to be,' he inquired cautiously, "'has really much money in her own name? I have asked many questions from others, and I find general opinion that she has. Do you know?' "'Just a few millions, that's all,' responded Jimmy nonchalantly. "'Just about five or six or something like that. Father left it to her. You're in softer than you realize, you old Hindu son-of-a-gun, you. And you've got to go along on this honeymoon trip I'm planning. You owe a whole lot to yours truly, Mr. Man. If it wasn't for me, you'd be making six changes of costume a night for twenty-five bones a week. Don't forget to remember that.' "'Of course, I am very much thankful to you, my fine good friend, most thankful, and most very much in favour of your honeymoon plan.' Jimmy arrogated to himself the task of arranging the details of the projected marriage. He fixed upon an elopement to a nearby suburb as being the best method of giving the affair a news slant that would add to the story what are technically known in newspaper circles as feature values. It would also, he figured, prevent the possibility of any last-minute interference by some trouble-making relative. It was agreed that he was to meet the prospective bride on the morrow in the guise of a close friend of Prince Rajput Singh, and was to go over with both parties a detailed plan of campaign which he was to map out in the interim. The prince was to bend his small finger and announce that impetuous and headlong haste was absolutely essential to his peace of soul, and was to insist upon the ceremony being performed within twenty-four hours. When Wilkins, the assistant manager, met Jimmy in the lobby a few minutes after the latter had left the royal suite, he couldn't help noticing the wild, exultant light that shone in the press agent's eyes. "'Well, well,' he remarked cordially, "'you look as if you've just made a clean-up or something. Can't you let me in on the good news?' "'Not for about forty-eight hours,' returned Jimmy, "'and then I'm going to let the whole USA in on it at the same time.' I've got something on the fire that's just about ready to serve that'll make folks everywhere forget to eat their ham and one of these mornings. Jimmy permitted Prince Rajput Singh to precede him by half an hour to the Easton home on the following morning. He thought it would be better to have the blushing bride-to-be apprised of the rough outlines of the elopement plan without the disconcerting presence of an intruder. Mr. J. Herbert Denby, a little disturbed and flustered at being assigned to such a task, was even then arranging with a clergyman in the next county to preside at the marriage which was to take place in the parlour of the rectory, and all the other essential details had been carefully worked out. Jimmy had collaborated with the prince on a telegram, which was to be sent by the bridegroom to Junius P. Easton, immediately after the ceremony. It would, he felt, give an added touch of the picturesque to the proposed programme of events. "'Your sister has done me the high honour of becoming my princess,' it read, "'and all Hyderabad will kneel in proud homage at her feet. I have cabled my revered father for his august blessing. May we not hope that you will shower your honourable good wishings on us?' The prince and Miss Fanny were in the music-room when Jimmy was announced. She had just been singing, Drink to me only with thine eyes, to her own accompaniment on the piano, and she was as radiant as a June morning. 
She wore a tea gown of baby blue, embroidered with pink rosebuds, and her bleached hair was done up into a billowy cluster of tiny curls which swayed with every movement of her head, and which somehow accentuated the essential maturity of her foolish fat face. Jimmy gave an almost audible gasp when he crossed the threshold of the door. He was prepared for the worst, but he had not expected to find himself face to face with a being out of the comic supplement. She ran to meet him, laughing sillily. "'How do you do?' she said gaily, extending a pudgy hand. "'It isn't necessary for the dear prince to introduce you. He's told me all about you, and I know that we're going to be kindred souls. You must vibrate on our plane, you know. I'm certain you must, because you are his dear friend, and one's friends always vibrate on one's plane. Don't they, Raji, dear?' "'Of course, my jasmine bud,' replied the prince, from the sheltered embrace of a huge armchair. "'Mr. Martin is of our inner circle. He shares the secrets of our hearts, sweet lily. He is my counsellor and chosen guide. Let us bid him sup coffee with us, which you will pour, with your much-to-be-adored hands.' Jimmy cast a roving eye in the general direction of his dark-skinned fellow-conspirator, and was greeted by the latter with an expressive wink, which was not visible to Miss Fanny, who was bustling about a silver tray on which was a pot of steaming coffee. She poured and served it with a fluttering air of heavy coquetry, which irritated the press agent beyond measure, and which made him feel decidedly uncomfortable. She was such a simple, trusting, foolish soul, that he didn't have the heart to enlarge upon the merits of the bridegroom-to-be, in the expansive and flowery fashion he had decided upon on the way from the hotel. He remained strangely silent for a time, listening to an exchange of preposterous love-words between this oddly assorted and incongruous pair, and wishing himself a long distance away. "'And when shall we visit, dear Hyderabad, Raji?' Miss Easton was saying. "'I can see myself under a silken awning, by the shores of the little lake you spoke of, the lake by your summer palace, I mean, and I can see you beside me, and the native servants are salaaming and serving us with a wonderful feast. We must go there at once, Raji dear, at once. My soul cries out for the sound of those tinkly temple bells that Kipling wrote about. It just cries out for them.' Prince Rajput Singh stirred uneasily in his chair and leaned forward. "'In time, sweet nightingale,' he said suavely, "'I must make a continuation of my lectures, and then I must visit your wonderful California. It will please me to be your honoured guest at your home there. Then, when we have tired of the sunshine and the flowers, we shall make long journey to my homeland.' The spell of this new country is on me, and until it passes I must remain here. Besides, I must await a salutation from my father. That breach must be healed, fair Bulbul." Miss Fanny sighed resignedly. "'Whatever you say, Raji, dear,' she said. "'You shall stay in California as long as you wish, and I'll write to that father of yours if you don't hear from him.' I think it's terrible the way the Nazir is treating the prince, don't you, Mr. Martin?" The bridegroom-to-be coughed nervously, and rose quickly from his chair, breaking into the conversation before Jimmy could stammer a reply. "'Fair one,' 
he said, gripping her by the arm, my friend tires of these much-repeated references to my own poor self. We have more important matters to discuss. Let us make busy with them. Thus pressed, Jimmy enlarged upon the detailed arrangements which he had completed for the exciting events of the following day, arrangements which included provisions for everything, from the marriage license to the formal and ceremonious delivery to all the newspaper offices of elaborately engraved announcement cards by the Hindu attendants of Prince Rajput Singh. Miss Fanny gushed her approval of the programme, and was positively gurgling with delight as she escorted him to the door. "'The prince is so proud,' she said, when she was out of earshot of that dignitary, "'that he can't bear to have me say anything about the perfectly outrageous way in which he has been treated by his father. I think it's perfectly scandalous, don't you?' "'I'm not very clear about it myself.' returned the press agent guardedly. What did the old gink, I mean, the old man, do? Oh, dear, I thought you knew. Why, he cut off his allowance for a perfectly trivial something or other. He's never told me exactly, and here he was on the verge of being unable to keep up appearances and the dignity of his station. It must have been most humiliating. Poor Raji cried when I forced it out of him. He'd been so depressed that I knew something must be the matter, and I just made him tell me. I was so glad to help. Jimmy cocked his head at the last sentence and looked up at her quickly. So you helped him, eh? he inquired. Just a little, she replied. What are a few thousand dollars if they will bring peace to a troubled spirit? Peace is everything, Mr. Martin, quite everything worth while and I'm going to keep the poor, dear prince, peaceful for ever and always. Good-bye, dear Mr. Martin. I'll see you in the morning." Jimmy went down the gravel path in a thoughtful mood. Somehow he felt rather fed up with Prince Rajput Singh. End of chapter 28